This is the Bell Books and Stories podcast with your host, Kay Hutchison. Welcome, you're listening to the Bell Media podcast, where we take a look at some great books and the stories behind the books. And before I introduce today's special guest, don't forget there are some great podcasts in the Bell Books and Stories series already. Books like Stuart Cosgrove's Cassius X, interweaving the story of one of the world's greatest sportsmen on his journey to becoming Muhammad Ali and the early years of soul music. There's composer John Lund talking about his iconic Emmy award-winning Downton Abbey theme tune. And we've also talked with politician and activist Peter Hain about his thriller The Rhino Conspiracy, a book infused with his own unique insights into power. South African politics and the life and death fight to combat wildlife poaching. On a lighter note, there's my conversation with the delightful Mavis Cheek, a funny, warm and insightful author of so many popular novels, including Amenable Women. And do keep an eye out for the release of our audiobook. Bill Patterson narrates Hurricane Hutch's Top 10 Ships of the Clyde, a personal insight into a wonderful era on Scotland's famous River Clyde out soon. In this episode, I'm speaking to comedian, actor, writer and entrepreneur Helen Lederer. Helen is one of Britain's best known and much loved faces in the field of comedy writing and acting. An important person in the booming alternative comedy scene in the 80s, Helen went on to star in many TV shows on radio and in theatre. She's also a prolific writer and has continued to develop her skills in a number of different ways. And that's a good thing, because there's much to talk about on today's Books and Stories podcast. Helen's varied career includes roles in Absolutely Fabulous, Naked Video, The Young Ones and French and Saunders. But I'd also like to focus on her smart and funny book, Losing It, which was nominated for a Bollinger Everyman Woodhouse Book Prize and Edinburgh Festival First Book Award. And I'm particularly interested in the story behind the creation of the Comedy Women in Print Awards. It's all down to Helen, a huge undertaking. Why did she take it on and how did she make it all happen? I'm delighted to welcome Helen Lederer. Helen, it's lovely to have you on the podcast today. I'm always amazed at your versatility and all the different things you've achieved. Success in comedy, acting, writing, your magazine Agony Ant, being in theatre, TV, radio. You produce articles for newspapers and write novels. You've packed a lot into your career and there's even more, which we'll come on to a bit later. But welcome. Well, it's lovely to be here. I think when you list the things like that, yeah, um, I think it just means I'm quite old, Kay. I'm just <laughs> old and uh, just tried to keep busy. <laughs> yes, that experience is so important. But I'd really like to find out um, first where it all started. I mean, I'm thinking about your childhood. You know, what was it like growing up, um, maybe in your family at school? Were you funny as a little girl? Yes, um, I was. Uh, I always say this, um, if everybody looks back at, at their class at school, there's normally sort of one funny person in the class, isn't there? Just normally. Um, and then our class, there were two. Uh, we were both fat, but the other fat person wasn't funny. Yes, that was so I was funny and fat. And the other one was fat and not funny. And so it, um, 
although I don't think she was consciously not funny, but not as funny as me. And I think that um, that must have affected, to an extent, my sense of self. Um, I had asthma quite badly, started having asthma when I was four. And so there was this um, need to not make me um, overexcitable um, in case I got another asthma attack, which, of course, made me become excitable whenever I could and I I'd still remain like that I quite heightened and I like to have a laugh therefore I mean it was very important to be slightly hysterical whenever possible so I think it was um, a kind of interactive humor it wasn't sort of gag telling it was me in a group wanting to be hysterical and making other people hysterical as well yeah and was that the same in your family? Because I know you've got, to me, it's quite a, a mix of different roots. You've got um, Czechoslovakian, English, and you were born in Wales. So you've got quite a mix there. Um, were you were you funny, um, you know, sort of using those roots as well? Um, I, I think back, you know, again, it's like where you are in the family. Um, I have an older sister um, I remember knowing the word embarrassed. I, I used that word embarrassed. I must have been a bit precocious, um, sort of when I was 10 or 11, I, I, or maybe younger. I used to say, oh, God, it was so embarrassing. I probably didn't say, oh, God. I might have said, oh, gosh, it was very embarrassing. So I must have had a sense of um, how the world was or sort of keenly observing it and being slightly outside it or feeling when things go wrong and therefore laughing about them. I think my parents were <laughs> a little worried about me in the sense that my older sister did the, um, the things in the right order and was, you know, in the A-team and I wasn't. So, you know, I wasn't an achiever and, and I don't think they ever quite knew what I was going to say. So that it was a mix of fun but awkwardness which I think feeds the comedic side of me because I'm never quite sure how things are going to go. I'm always on edge slightly. And what would you say um, set you on the road to uh, actually becoming a comedian, an actor? I mean, what was your break, would you say? Well, the break, um, well, I never see anything. As, <laughs> I think of everything as a slog. <laughs> It's just you go from one thing to the next thing. Um, I always wanted to go to drama school, but no one did at Blackheath High School for girls in those days, as far as I know. And I didn't get the uh, the grades, the best grades. So I sort of did everything. I, I like telling this story to other young people because there's so much pressure to do everything in the right way, in the right order. And that's fine if you're one of those people, but I'm not one of those people. So I ended up doing a sociology degree, but I really wanted to go to drama school. That was what I always wanted to do. I thought that would be the ticket. And then I went late on a really weird postgraduate year that was just mad. Um, but I was just so happy for that year, partly because it meant I didn't have to do a proper job. And then from there, I found a double app partner in a, an audition. And then the we just started writing and performing our sketches, but I'd always done drama at college and drama at school. And, you know, looking back, I just wanted to write and perform, but there wasn't a word for 
yes like you, that in the early yeah, 80s that's right it, it was kind of emerging wasn't it mm. um because you've got a, a ba in applied social science what was that understanding of human behavior you know psychology sociology was that helpful in your creative work and for your books later on do you think well at the time i didn't think it was helpful at all um but on the other hand, it was the first time I kind of had to knuckle down. I actually did some work because I couldn't concentrate. I used to want to do well, but then I'd start daydreaming and um, forget to learn things, you know, for revision. And so this was the first time where I actually just thought, oh, OK, come on, just do it. Just learn this stuff and do it. I think now, interestingly, now there is some value. Well, there's value to just being in one place and studying whatever it is. I just think you have such a great time, the poor people now in lockdown. but you know, there's a wonderful thing about being away from home, being with other people, going to parties, party sevens, beer, you know, rubbing up against people. at par- oh, It's just a fantastic time. I do draw on that sort of study of society, predictability of society. Yes, it, it's not a, a value less uh, experience or discipline to kind of refer to it. I remember you in Naked Video in Scotland, hilarious and a bit outrageous for, for the time, as you're saying, for the time. Um, but you seem to fit in very well as part of the, the Scottish um, Naked Video team. Did you stay in Scotland for extended periods and enjoy it? What was it mm. like? I loved Glasgow. Um, when you're young, although in fact, looking back, I wasn't that young, I suppose. I was, think I was 30. You just do a job. You just go. You go, oh, where is it? Scotland. Fine. Off I go. You know, you just don't question things. And I remember the team were really nice, took the piss out of me a lot for being posh. I had to explain to them that I wasn't. I just spoke like I did. And the first series was fantastic. Um they took me to some clubs. They they enjoyed showing me the ropes, but ready to catch me out if I um, said the wrong thing. I had to be careful. I then made a mistake uh, on the advice of an agent on the next lot of uh, series of just going up to do the monologues. And what a mistake that was. But, you know, especially in lockdown, you look back, I'm listing all my mistakes. Um, because, of course, that gave a very bad message to everyone else that, I was in some way above them, which of course I wasn't. It was just practical because of course it took about three months to to record a series. Mm. And at the time, maybe I was doing more things and it was thought that you could do that and other things. So I don't know if that was looked on too well <laughs> um, because then, then they got um, some uh, other, they had to get other actresses mm. in. But I have no regrets because you that's part of life, you know, making mistakes and doing things and learning from them. And my memories of Glasgow are so happy, warm, intense, brilliant. Yeah. I mean I, I really that is my abiding memory of that show is is actually you doing those monologues, which is I mean I mm. I really do think they still they're hilarious still today I want to ask you about you know how you see things have moved I mean you have actually progressed and moved on with the times quite easily in the comedy world I would say but how do you see that world has changed I mean obviously it was mm. still male dominated but um, if you were starting out again you know what, what do you what do you think's changed really over time I think it's changed hugely in that people speak up very easily and often 
when there is a imbalance or a comment, you know, it, it is normal and to be expected for there to be, you know, a, a self-awareness and an awareness for others. So people are careful and have had to be. In the 80s, there wasn't that climate. People behaved as they did in the 80s. You know, you look back and you can think about, you know, pre-Me Too and all this. You, This was the time. This was who we were then dealing with all the urges, uh, the, the activities, the energies. It's just so different. Um, yes, traditionally, um, you're right. Um, it wasn't normal, um, in quotes, for a woman to write her own material and be a stand-up. I mean, it uh, certainly occurred and there were women doing it, but it wasn't normal. There weren't many people doing it. And um, my memory of doing stand-up in gigs, you know, I never particularly enjoyed it because of the nerves, because I had to overcome suspicion and disapproval before I'd even said anything. So the climate wasn't disposed to see me as a normal person, whether I was good or bad, it would still be you know, normal to see me on stage. So I think battling with that, um, apart from anything else, was really present at that time. And of course, women wouldn't have to deal with that at all, I don't think, or far less. And are there any up and coming comedians you'd recommend we watch out for? Yes, Mae Martin, uh, American uh, woman, uh, went to see her at the Soho Theatre, actually to be a bit nosy because I was just gearing up to go up to Edinburgh myself for the one-woman show after a break of God knows how long. Uh, I think there was a summer before last. And I was thinking, oh, my Lord, you know, so what do people do? What happens? And it was wonderful just to see a woman just dense text, you know, almost not pausing for breath, it's really invigorating uh, to see that, to see that other women do it. When they do it well, it's a joy. I'd like to turn to your own published books. I mean, I absolutely love losing it and enjoyed Millie's stories. But could you tell us a bit about it rather than me uh, describing it? Oh, well, um, I'm glad you liked it. Um, I wrote it a few years ago and I had abandoned another novel before that. And I wanted to write a novel for a long time, a comedy novel. But the thing for me was to get the narrative voice correct for me. And um, once I'd found Millie's voice, which was an extension of me, I, I had such pleasure writing it. But I conceived it as a afternoon play that's not to oversimplify I don't think because it took me a long time to write it but I um, based it on a relatively true experience of the fact that I had been offered the chance to lose weight for money and so I had a lot of experience about all those scenarios in losing it the agent the pressure the daughter um, being divorced and then the plot of course for Millie the heroine is um, she really does need to get the money um, th there's jeopardy um, um, and then in fact without spoiling it that life is um, not the ending you think it should be and I think that's I suppose a kind of message for me right now is that you might start out with a plan or a hope or a dream but if it, if you don't get it, it's actually not that important. It's what you do on the way. Yeah. 
I think what I um, love about it is that I, I can absolutely see you in it. When I when I read it, I'm, I'm kind of imagining you in a sitcom. I mean, it'd make a great sitcom. Wouldn't it? <laughs> the, the thing in the, the plane, the description of the Feng Shui team arriving to clean out, clean out the bad spirit. I mean, it's right up my street. And, and there's a lot about food and eating as well, which I love. I mean, on the, the cover of the book, you know, there's... A glass of red wine, donuts, teapot, you know, you're tapping into a subject that uh, most of us are interested in. And uh, I, I think hearing someone else's struggles with, well, many things can be very comforting and recognisable. But it's the way that you tell it that really is, is very clever. I'm just pleased because I haven't, when you write something, I mean, I haven't read it for a long time. I mean, um, my dream was that somebody would read it and laugh out loud. That was my dream. And I have been told that people have laughed out loud when they've read sections. And I'm not a complacent person, but you just go, wow, result. And if that worked, it is because there's a truth. Um, For me, the kind of comedy that I when it lands, for me, it's about recognition, lots of different types of comedy um sort of surreal and parody and all sorts but most of all recognition sort of reality but extended is my joy <laughs> well, I definitely have been laughing out loud but I also have been doing that thing where you go oh no Millie don't do it don't do it don't go there and <laughs> um, would you yeah. would you um, ever write about the real you in a book, you know, as a, a sort of non-fiction rather than a fiction? Well, interesting. We're in lockdown. I should imagine a lot of people are writing their memoirs right now. They're either putting photographs in a scrapbook or they're writing their memoirs. So I am not doing the scrapbook thing. I'm writing uh, my memoir and I'm finding it. I just want to get it yeah, finished and done and out because I want to do my next novel to get back to that narrative voice again. The memoir has to be truthful, and so it will probably be a bit sad. And then you go, um, well, will people want to to read it? Because there's that thing about a memoir that goes from the shop um, into the car boot quite quickly. (laughs) (laughs) And I might just end up, like, in a lot of car boots. (laughs) But, you know, like sort of vaguely famous face um, on cover of book. People look at it. Am I mentioned? No. Mm, few photos over. But I actually want to kind of write more about that. The questions you asked earlier, Kay, is about the times, the 80s and the 90s and comedy and sex and our behaviors I, I do find that oh, quite interesting things have changed so much I'm I'm kind of imagining you though there I think we're all going through this very interesting period where things are a little bit more subdued so we don't have the opportunity to go out and have great fun and really enjoy ourselves and feel uplifted because there's just too much negative mm. that's going on but um, I think sometimes writing can be really helpful to actually just take you away from what's going on do you have a particular way of writing a certain time place quiet you know what's your routine if you have such a thing I do I try um and I know when I was writing losing it I had to write every day I love it when I'm inside when it's going well um so I have a room where I write um it's quite messy some people um Every so often I have a blitz on the desk surface, but at the moment, if you were to look at my desk, 
I oh my god, I've got hair clips, glasses, my breakfast. Um, it's probably quite unhygienic, but I know where everything is. So I kind of work in chaos, but it's organized chaos. I, I like that idea. It's a bit uh, the way I am as well, but also it kind of fits in with um, some of your work as well because you have played these characters that are kind of all over the place. It really fits beautifully. Mm. Are there uh, any other books on the go then? Obviously, you're doing your memoir. Yeah, so the memoir, I'm I'm desperate to get that out. What's it um, called? Secrets and Thighs, um, <laughs> I'm afraid. So because I set up the Comedy Women in Print prize, which we may or may not talk about, um, we will. that took up so much time. The the thought of actually writing a novel, I thought memoir novel next, and I thought, oh gosh. And although I'm not a judge myself, I couldn't be. Um, I thought if I write a really bad novel, that would be so bad. <laughs> and I've set Pressure. this uh, prize up for witty novels. Um, so the memoir just had to be done. Also, the age I'm at, and also the lockdown situation. So I think me the memoir is a very very different kind of writing. Um, and I'm desperate to get back to the absurd, the, the extremities of real life, um, because I feel them acutely. Um, uh, when I went, uh, I had quite a lot of therapy in different ways over the years, um, just dump, you know, ducking and diving, hypnotherapist here. You know, I try all these people. And one of them, one of the early ones said that I had um, above average anxiety like I was supposed to be pleased. <laughs> and um, so I think that I just, you know, nobody else knows what goes on in other people's heads, do they? I don't know what goes on, you know, how what your thinking is. But I know that my thinking is very, very busy and maybe more busy now. And uh, other people might not be like that. That's an odd thought, isn't it? Other people might just go and do a task and not think in the same way that I do. Like I worry so much. But then that is funny. You've got to make it work for you. That is kind of hilarious, really. Yeah, it is. It is. So let's let's talk about comedy women in print. Um, it seems to me, in addition to all of the other things, um, you're, you've become a bit of an entrepreneur, really, with <laughs> with comedy women in print and an activist, even championing women writers mm -hmm. and, and with some style. I mean, how did that come about? Well, I love to think that all those things, entrepreneur, no, uh, it's a passion project. So I I have to beg um, in the days when bars were open, you know, I would be buying the drinks for everyone and begging people to do and support. And the people I met who have supported have been wonderful. So it's shown me how the good people who will meet and who will suggest and who will contribute to make from nothing to making this prize real. And so now we're starting in our third year. Um, but for me to get people to do things, I have to, I have to say to them, I'm doing this for no money. Uh, and and I, I stay, I remain like that. I think that it won't work otherwise. Um, but we have an accountant and it's all very grown up. You're absolutely right from that point of view. And I suppose the USP on the one side is that the winner of the unpublished prize um, gets published. Their dream get, comes true. They get published by has been Harper Fiction. And then the winner of the published prize gets lots of press. But you know, but actually, you're right, I suppose, entrepreneurial. Yeah, I have to use a different kind of voice. I battle with technology. I mean, that's the 
biggest drag about the whole thing. And so then the joy of writing again, the joy of like, oh, hoping for a television job or an acting job, you know, the pleasure is so sweet when you do that because I now can compare it with people have to do jobs that are really difficult and boring and admin. <laughs> and I loathe it. I loathe it. But it has to be done. But but actually, the great thing is you are the, the kind of lead person. And actually, you do need to um, surround yourself with people who can do those things to support you to, yeah. to doing what you're doing. What What is wonderful about it to me is that you obviously, you know, were nominated for a Woodhouse Award. Sorry, it's Bollinger Everyman, isn't it? Yes. But um, I, I do think women's comedy is a world of its own, subjects the humour. Not that, not that men can't enjoy them, but you, you've shown that there was a need. And what, why do you think there was no awards before you came along it's interesting isn't it um i mean there really wasn't a, a, a an award because i researched it and i'd had the idea because i had been a judge because you know people need judges every year there's a whole kind of roster it's like you know rent a judge i'm on a list so i'd done the woman's prize i'd done the costa you know i'd had some experience of what happens um but with the wit women's wit it's interesting and, it, and it's on a par with fame and elite of, of witty women on TV in that there can only be a few at a time. And so I think if Quip has done anything, I hope, and it continues to, is you go, you know what? You don't just have one witty women novelist. I mean, it's great that she's there, but you can have a range of comedy, a range of writing, a range of ages. And that's why last year we uh, added... Um, comic graphic novels so there was unpublished published in comic graphic novels I think people need to just open their eyes and just go it's empowering you might not like that one on the list but you might like that we need to broaden the range so it isn't just one type um, of sort of money spinner I think publishers needed to be encouraged to take risks with new writing as well and be seen to do it so that to change the climate of it yeah it's quite quite pioneering what, what you're doing in, in some respects but it also sounds like a lot of fun I mean you've got some absolutely brilliant judges oh, we have been so lucky you obviously have a lot of fun doing this once the hard work is uh, nearly done and um, wh when's the next one due to take place well and so because uh, we're going out with a new website I hope uh, very soon and so um, entries will be April through to November will be year three. And um, we're doing a funny little campaign. I just want us to be daring a bit. Other women have done this, but it just occurred to me to have a fun flash fiction section before the prize proper opens, where in 100 words, women write their witty, erotic, sort of good, bad sex content because you know there's a bad sex prize and that it's supposed to be an honor to get it but it's mo a lot of men but you just go it's another uh, form of empowerment mm -hmm. for women to, to write about sex in a funny way not rom-com and so that occurred to me thought right we're going to do a bit of a, a shine a light on that and then um get some more great judges get the, these wonderful sponsors in the sky to love us and hopefully in November you know there'll be a, a winner's event in real life if not we did um, a funny 
online winners of event film. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, so it's possible to pull it off. You just need investment and great people to help you. It, 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 it's all about the people who are part of it. And I didn't really allow you to see who the judges were. Could you give us a, a few names? Well, for year two, we had Joanna Scanlon. We had Marion Keys. As soon as we had Marion Keys as a supporter, we were away. Uh, Pauline McGlynn from Father Ted, Paula Wilcox, um, you know, amazing quality, wonderful, you know, the, the judging meetings were were very funny and very fierce. Yes. Because, you know, people are so uh, divided, you know, as I say, one person's joke is another person's groan. It's true. So it's complicated and it's quite passionate. Mm. Uh, about what makes you laugh because somebody would go oh my god no that was so obvious please I saw it coming <laughs> or somebody else would go oh but it just was so on the on the note you know it just it how it connects with the individual this year so far we have Joanne Harris and we have Steph McGovern who I'm you know I'm thrilled with those and Nina Stibby who won last year's published award we try and encourage sort of passing it forward for the last year's winner to you know contribute for the next year and if people um want to get involved to support what you're doing i know you have friends of quip comedy women in print which itself mm. is is a lovely uh link how can they get involved oh um go on the website um comedywomeninprint.co.uk yeah absolutely just go on the website and uh we need we need support a, a wonderful person has is giving us 10 pounds a month i thought what an amazing that's amazing because it all goes to the prize and the entries uh, will be open through the website and the support is available on the website so it's it's all a singing dancing website yeah good so, I mean, what's brilliant is you will be revealing new people who probably wouldn't have had the light shone on their work quite so brightly, yeah. which is a really important thing. Um, are there any comedy women writers, apart from Nina Stibby, that we should watch out for? Well, Candy's Carty Williams, uh, uh, Queenie, that everybody, I interviewed her actually on, on an event. And um, yeah, those are quite scary, those events, because you really have to read the book, don't you? <laughs> uh, like you very kind of read mine, because we do these witty Wednesdays that are on the Comedy Women in Print website where running up to the shortlist I'd interview on Instagram on Quip Instagram I'd get a glass of fizz and cassis for me it looked like Ribena but it wasn't and um interview the writer but in a kind of sort of rocky way in a fun way and I oh um Abby Waxman who is a wonderful writer she did the Witty Wednesdays from a car in LA um, in a car park I think she was waiting for a daughter to pass her driving test it was mad and you just go anything can happen and then once you get talking to another witty author it all falls into place so I, I would recommend Abby well all of them Michelle Gallen um, Big Girl Small Town that that got nominated for the Costa Award as well so the, all the all the books are on the website, but I can't wait to get year three funded and peopled and stars and shining and happening. And then I can get on with my memoir. Thank yes, you very much. Indeed. <laughs> anyway, last question for you. I mean, obviously, you put yourself through a lot. You've got an incredible drive. Um, you know, where does that 
come from and what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, I, I would um, try and make the younger self not worry. I would try and make the younger self just know that it's okay to just do what you do in that day and to find all the knockbacks funny earth and I've managed to make them and that tragedy is all quite useful. I try and imbue much more positivity in my younger self. I don't know where the drive comes from. I think it's just a need to show off and to be seen, which is very vain. It's vanity. Oh, well, Helen, I wish you well and look forward to the next Comedy Women in Print Awards and your next book. Thank you so much for being my guest on the Bell Books and Stories podcast. Thank you. If you want to read Helen's Losing It, which is just great fun and very resonant, I'll add a link to the book within the podcast. And also, if you're interested in Comedy Women in Print, check out comedywomeninprint.co.uk, otherwise known as Quip. Very clever. And you can even become a friend of Quip to celebrate and support female comedy writers. And so it just remains for me to thank you for listening to the Bell Books and Stories podcast. Studio production was by Perrin Sledge, and I'm Kay Hutchison. Please join me next time. In the meantime, bye for now.